0: That's pretty cool, huh? You know, Dave Chen actually has been been on several of those. I want I want to just make sure you guys know that Dave's gone. If you, I think you may have saw John Spencer up there. He's in the back of that photo. John Spencer's there too. Great opportunities to serve. Please consider doing that. And for our high school kids, we have this thing called Hope Youth Corps where they can go off and serve the communities, you know, all throughout the United States, internationally. It's amazing. My daughter's been on a couple of those already and it's just fantastic. Okay, are we ready now? Clickers in my hand. All right, I've left off, we've been dissecting a story that has, in in the ancient times, was so amazing, was so mind-blowing, that God would do this. It revolutionized the church in the New Testament. And that was the fact that Jesus was preparing the way for not only the Jews to have salvation, but the rest of the world to have salvation. It wasn't just that one nation could be saved. It was always all nations to be saved. And God started that with Abraham, Avraham, to make all nations have the the awareness that they can seek and find the living God. Now, this, this is what it means. Your life means something to God. Your very life means something to Him. God is restoring humanity back to Him because something got broken in the Garden of Eden and we were separated from the living God in His presence. He's restoring that. You're important, but guess who else is important? Your friends. Your people that are in your circle the Bible calls that your household. They're important to God too. And in this story, Jesus makes it very clear that the rejected people called the Samaritans were a part of God's family too, even though the Jewish nation didn't like them very much. We, have, we know this because in the, back in the Old Testament, there was this moment where Moses takes the, all the tribes of the from 12 sons of Joseph, the the patriarchs. And he took them to these mountaintops. There's Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And he uses it as an illustration to say, what will you do? What will you decide? Will you choose the blessings of God, which is obedience? Or will you choose the curses, which is a life that's disobedient, that's on your own. You carve your own way apart from God. And the people were on both sides of the mountain. And Moses asked them to choose today. Is it blessings or is it curses? Is it life with God or is it life without God? And in between is an area called Shechem. And that is where the well is that Jacob used. And that is the city in the little town called in the New Testament, it was called Sichar, where Jesus came and he was tired because he wanted some water. But he went there on purpose because in those towns and villages right there lived the Samaritan people. And the Samaritan people were not well liked. Because they believed in God, but they always twisted what God said to meet their needs. You ever do that before in your Christianity? You ever twist stuff in the Bible to make, it, make your sins sound less? I, I'm guilty. I'm sure most of us are. Right? So there's this well, and there's this moment, and then Jesus meets this woman. These people are estranged from God. They're not... They're not necessarily worshiping at the temple. They made their own temple. They made their own church. They did their own thing. In a sense, they chose the curses in one sense or another. They chose life away from Jerusalem. They chose life away from from what God has called them. And, And because the Jews didn't like him, they said, hmm, we'll make our own church. Hmm, we'll do our own thing. And so Jesus goes to this well. And he meets this woman. Now, earlier, the Bible says Jesus had to go to this, this area. Like, he did it on purpose. He wasn't like, it's a shortcut. Let's just go through there. He was like, I need to go there. I have to go there. I should go there because I want to deliver a message to the entire world that God came to save all the nations, even the ones you don't like, right? If I mentioned Afghanistan to you, you were like, ooh. If I mention Iraq to you, ooh. If I mention India, ooh, it sounds because it's so foreign and it's so different. This was a similar situation. People did not like the Samaritans. And Jesus makes this claim at the well. He always, Jesus had the, the most amazing analogies. He goes, if you drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again. Because it will only quench, quench your physical thirst. But whoever drinks the water I give them, in other words, whoever responds to the teaching I give them, they will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them is so amazing, it wells up and produces eternal life. Imagine someone saying at the drinking fountain at your work. Just imagine the moment of Jesus saying this to a Samaritan. Because the Gentiles were a part of God's plan. The reason why that's important for you is because you are a Gentile. You, you, you. All of us were Gentiles. We are non-Jews. So thank goodness Jesus went there. We're like, hey, that's good news for us. We learn this about Jesus. We learn that he reveals himself To be the Messiah. He tells this woman who's been married five times and she's with a man right now that's not her husband. She's a concubine. She's a woman who lives in a house that just has no legal marriage status anymore. And he reveals himself to her at the well that he is the Messiah by using the phrase, I am. Anyone who is a Samaritan, has a Jewish background, knows that those two words means God. And he reveals himself and says, I am God. Blow away. Here's the Greek. I am used many times. And then we talked about this this concept, which we all have to be very careful that we don't take our opinions and override the truth of the scriptures. It's our human nature sometimes to make opinion sound absolutely biblically sound, and sometimes they're not. It's I think versus I tell you the truth. It's okay to have opinions. But when they butt up against the scriptures, the scriptures prevail. They should always do. It keeps us on the side of blessings and we avoid the curses. Our opinions can lead us to disobedience. That's the the tragicness of having an opinion, right? But God made us in his image for us to have free choice. So we have to choose to obey or not obey. The next concept I talked about is feelings and experience. You know, when you experience something, it it does something to you. Feelings are very powerful. Very powerful. Some of you walk around and look like you have no feelings, but you really have a lot of feelings. And others walk around, you know what they're feeling. I know that look on that face, right? Everyone has feelings, whether you tuck them away and hide them or you wear them on your sleeve, you have feelings. But when our feelings butt up against words like it is written in the Bible, it's the scriptures that take precedence. And that is so hard because our feelings can fake us out. Our feelings can deceive us. Our logic can deceive us. Sometimes God tells us things to do that go against our human logic. Because God is not, He's not logical. He's spiritual. It's different. And so, here's one little test I'm going to give you this morning, this afternoon. In Matthew 18, here's here's a I tell you the truth statement. Jesus is walking around and little kids come up to Him and his, his apostles are annoyed; they're slowing him down. Jesus and these kids are hugging his leg. I mean, imagine the children's ministry coming out and just hugging you and hanging around you. And Jesus and the apostles are like, "Get those kids out of here! Get them; they're distracting, they're annoying. Please ask them to leave." Jesus and Jesus is playing with the kids. He's—it's kind of like youth camp. He's having fun, right? He's having a blast. He's in children. He's a teacher in children's ministry. How's it going, kids? Can you imagine Jesus in that moment just getting down and hanging out with the kids? And the, his followers, his apostles, are annoyed. And Jesus senses the annoyance. And he looks at him and has a teaching moment. And he uses the kids as his example. He goes, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why I tell you the truth. But I'll go to church every day if you don't change. See, that was Job's problem. One of Job, Job's, the book of Job, he had, a, he had a significant problem. He thought because he was doing everything, he deserved God. He didn't deserve God's suffering. It doesn't matter what you do. You have to serve God faithfully and be in love with God no matter what. Jesus is telling his his grown-up apostles, unless you have the attitude, think about a little children's ministry, look at their attitude toward being led. Jesus is trying to lead you, and it's difficult to lead you when you act like a teenager. (laughs) It's very hard to Jesus to lead you spiritually when you're a teenager. He's saying, "Be a child." Because when you're a teacher in that classroom, you tell the children what to do, and they, you, they get all they start doing it. And they, they hang on all the words you're saying, they're like, "What is this? It's a, they're, they're like gripped at your feet going, "This is awesome." It's difficult for Jesus to lead you. When you make your opinions more important than his words. When you make your feelings more important than his words. And therefore, your life never changes. You're the same person you were 20 years ago. The only difference is, you come to church. You really aren't a different person. It hasn't supernaturally changed you. Just being married to Karen doesn't make me a better person. God makes me a better person so I can be a better husband. I have to grow. I realized something early on in my marriage. Well, mid-range, I should say, not early on. (laughs) Mid-range, let's be be honest, mid-range. I can be a little, you know, exaggerating at times. Mid-range. That I could not change Karen. I only could change myself. And if she says I'm not changing, I had to be good with that because I was working on myself anyway. But lo and behold, Karen at the same time says, I'm going to change myself. And then two people that want to change come together, make something pretty cool. Pretty awesome. So my, my, my appeal to you is stop being teenagers with Jesus. Start trusting him more. Start living like you trust him. Trust the Lord. That's what he's asking. That's what he wants. So he goes to Samaria. In your circle, if you were to make a circle of of, of all the people that you know, the friends that, that you call friends, your friends, people that you do life with, in that sphere of relationships, there's probably a Samaritan. They make their own rules. They twist scriptures. You don't like them very much because they're annoying when you hang out with them. But what's weird is that Jesus was oddly close to people who were outsiders. Hmm. He goes to a little short man named Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to go hang out at your house today. Zacchaeus was hated. He was an outsider. And Jesus was, I'm going to go hang out at your house today. Let's go hang out today. Odd. Matthew, the tax collector. I'm going to your house for a tax collector party. Can you imagine What was going on at that party? Here is a Samaritan. You have one in your life. You look down on them. You don't like them. They're different. They're in your world, in your circle, but you just don't like them. You give them the minimum attention that's required, especially if they're family. There are people in my family that are Samaritans. And the more I spend time with them, the more I get annoyed with them. But see, I'm acting like a teenager. That's the teenager attitude. The child attitude is they're there. They're there for a purpose. They're there for a reason. They're in my life for a reason. God has called me to engage them. There's a woman by the name of Norma McCorvey. You probably don't know who she is. She had a rough life. Norma was raped as a teenager, sold drugs, dropped out of high school, and married briefly at age 16. In the early 1970s, she got pregnant again. And a couple lawyers took her as a test case to overturn the Texas state law that prohibited abortion. You might know her as the anonymous Jane Roe in the famous landmark case, Roe v. Wade. That's the case that opened up the doors to abortion in our nation. There was a gentleman by the name of Flip Benham. And he met Norma at a book signing. And Norman screamed at her and yelled at her. Because he said, you are responsible for over 33 million children being killed. And then six months later... Flip Benham opened up a national headquarters of Operation Rescue right next door to the abortion clinic where Norma McCorby worked. And they would see each other. And initially, Norma resisted any contact with, with Benham, with Flip. But eventually, they started to talk. She started to talk to him during some of the breaks they had at work because their building was right next to each other. And during one of the conversations, Norma goaded Flip Benham saying, dude, you need to go to a good Beach Boys concert, bro. And I'm like, who are the Beach Boys? 1970s band, super famous, amazing, right? Like the Beatles of Southern California, (laughs) right? If you're in the 70s, you know this. And Flip's answer to her was, Miss Norma, I haven't been to a Beach Boys concert since 1976. Norma later reported that it was that simple, kind, little response that shook her to her core. Eventually, Norma and Flip become friends. Flip invites her to church, and she gets baptized. She turns from pro-choice to pro-life until she died just a few years ago. The person that we feel the most uncomfortable around might be the very person Jesus has decided for you to have an appointment with. These are people in your circle. This is someone you may not like, but you need to be aware of the Samaritan in your life. And we need to stop acting like teenagers around them. And start being more like children of Jesus and saying, listen, there's a reason why you're in my life. And to go and spend time with them. Because when Jesus returned, when the disciples returned, they were surprised to, found, to find Jesus talking with the woman. But no one asked them, what do you, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Or, or, or what's going on? They came back and they saw Jesus Spending time with a Samaritan, spending time with a woman. That was a no-no. That was culturally not appropriate for them. But Jesus was teaching a new way to love our enemies. He didn't, he didn't just preach it. He lived it. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went away into the town And said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This woman leaves her jar. That was why she was there in the first place. She was so impacted by just the time that Jesus was willing to spend with her. Time. He gave her time. He spent time with her, he talked with her. I don't believe Jesus was judging her at all. Because if Jesus was judging her, I don't think she would have ran off and, and asked the town to come see the Messiah. She would have walked off to her room and went, was, would be mad. Jesus spent time with her and it had an impact on her. On these off weeks we have at church, how are you spending your time? Are you like, it's all me time? And you need some me time. I'm, I'm not here to say you don't need me time. Everyone needs me time, right? Watch your shows, watch YouTube, catch up on podcasts, cook some dinner. But there's a time slot that you have for other people in your world. You should give time to. And as Jesus was giving this woman time, he was getting in there like husbands, marriage. He was, he was getting all up in there. He was, he was listening for the needs. This woman had deep needs. She was thirsty. And if you spend time with your friends in your circle, if you listen to their needs, you'll see that they're thirsty. But if you're just going there just to check off, like, Geo says, I got to hang out with you. So we're going to hang out and have fun. And then I'm going to leave and not say anything. That's not what I'm saying. You got to listen. And you got to talk and you got to pay attention. They have needs and they're thirsty. That's the kind of time I'm talking. Maybe it's just a disciple you want to get with that that has needs. You're listening. A disciple's thirsty. Okay, he's thirsty because he's not listening to Jesus. Let's have that conversation. Because when you spend time with people, they feel like you love them. What do kids feel like when you hang out with them? Kids feel loved by time. They're not in love with your knowledge. Kids don't care about your knowledge. They care about time. Whether it's tying their shoes and teaching them how to tie their shoes, it's time. Kids love time. People love time too. But it's it's love. It's an expression of love when you spend time with people. It's also consistency. Don't spend time with them once a year. Spend time and some more time and some more time. And the more time you spend with them, the more consistent you are. Guess what happens? You start seeing a relationship form, a real relationship form. Too many times we want to invite people to church without giving them love and time and consistency. I don't want you to check the box of, oh, I invited them. I don't care about that box. The box I care about is are you loving them and are you giving them time and are you being consistent? That's what I care about because that's what Jesus showed us. It's different than just inviting someone to church. Yes, yes, you'll you'll get around to inviting them. For those that really love that, you'll get around to that. But what I find fascinating is that Jesus loves people, spends time with people, is consistent with people, and then they go and change the world. That's what I see in the Bible. that cool? Time. Give people your time. It says so much about you that you give people your precious time because your time is precious. It's very precious. You work 40 hours a week, your time is precious. You have children, your time is precious. When you give someone a couple hours, man, that's an impact. Because you just left your kids at home with your wife or your husband, and you're going to spend time. That's sending sending a powerful message that you're important. Because Jesus was preparing the way. And how he did it was he shares his time with the woman at the well. That's how he does it. He spent time at Zacchaeus' house. He spends time at Matthew the tax collector's house. He goes to homes, he goes to houses, he goes to wells, and he hangs out, and he talks to them, and he sees their needs, and he meets their needs. That's what he does. It's pretty amazing. The question for us, should we share our our spending of time with our friends and people at the well? Should we spend our time there? The answer, I hope, is yes. We should spend time with people at the well. We should spend time with people in our circle. That's what we should do. That's what Jesus did. And that's how we send the gospel into all the nations. Because when they came back out of town, they made their way towards Jesus. These people, that Jesus spent time with the woman, She went back and told her circle. Apparently she was pretty social because, you know, the whole town came. (laughs) They knew her. And I don't think they would follow a woman who had a shady reputation. To me, this woman, she knew her Bible. She knew the history of Israel. She knew it well. And she carried a very amazing conversation about the history of Israel with Jesus. Jesus corrected her on her perspective, but she knew The fact that she knew was amazing. And they came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus.